I don't see any place I'd rather live. So there's a mystical place here. It's just a place that imprints on you and, and you want to be here. Welcome to the 457 SEO, a place for stories, information, and observations about Southeast Ohio, presented by WOUB News. I'm Susan Tebbin. I'm Atish Baidya. I'm Aaron Payne. And I'm Allison Hunter. It's that time of the year again. The Nelsonville Music Festival is on its way, and we'll have our culture reporter, Emily Vota in to talk about a few of the acts that will be performing. To start us off on this edition of the 457 SEO, we have Lenny Eliason, Lenny's been an Athens County Commissioner for almost 20 years and is also on the Board of Directors for the County Commissioners Association of Ohio. I want to start with the first question we usually ask anyone that comes in to talk here at the 457 SEO, uh, which is, what does Athens County need to succeed and how do we get it from local government, from state government, from whoever we need to get it from? What do we need and how do we get it? It's infrastructure is the first thing. That's really the most important thing because infrastructure from the old days to today are two different things. In the old days, it was build a road and they will come, uh, build water and sewer and they will come. But now it's really fiber and high-tech connection to the Internet and businesses are doing a whole different way of doing business. So really one of the things that we need to do is is get the fiber and, and get fast fiber and high fiber. So one of the things we're doing in Athens County is working with the university and our economic development council on how we can t- get that 100 gig pipe that comes down to the university and expand that out. So one of the things you see is the smart cities model that Dublin's using uh, where you have uh, the pipe at that end uh, being offered to businesses to get their access to the internet. So uh, that's the thing that we're going to be using here in, in our county and hopefully we can expand that through in, uh, in southeast Ohio that will help. But infrastructure is the key. Uh, when you get to development, you have people come in. We had someone in the other day. We were discussing they want to build a business park. They want 100 to 300 acres of flat land. Well, you don't find 100 to 300 acres of flat land in southeast Ohio. This mm-hmm. isn't Madison County. We're not glaciated. Uh, so it's you're going to have to move a lot of earth if you want that much space. Uh, there's some relatively rolling spaces that you could do, but then you have to have access to the highway. So there's lots of factors. It's really location, infrastructure. Uh, those are the things that bring jobs because jobs create economic development. And But you got to start with infrastructure. The better you improve your infrastructure, the better off you are. Obviously, those things involve having money. So how do we balance what we need versus what we can get from those sources, from funding sources all over the place? For example, we have a managed care tax that the state is proposing to cut. Uh, for Athens County, it would cut $850,000 from the budget. It's always a juggling act. Uh, the The problem is is that you can't meet everybody's needs. Mm-hmm. There's not enough money to meet them. One of the things you have to realize is in local government, 60% of our dollars go to courts and corrections. So they go to the operation of the courts, the jail, and the sheriff, and the prosecutor's office, and the public defender. So when you look at all the dollars that come in, the rest of the services that the county provides for you come in less than four cents. <laughs> so when you start thinking out of every dime, it comes out, you only got four cents going to the general services and the rest are already spoken for. And it's the same thing when you look at the federal budget. You know, certain programs take a large portion of the federal budget. State budgets the same way. Discretionary spending is really not a lot of money. It's a misnomer for a lot of people. So it's hard to rein programs in and keep them there, but you have to look at what you're providing, uh, what you can afford to provide. Uh, we have this debate all the time about, you know, should we expand services? For example, in our EMS operation in the county, we have a couple holes in response areas. One would solve it by building a new station somewhere either in the Amesville area or farther out on the east side of Athens between Coolville and, and Athens, somewhere close to Route 690. Right. Uh, but the problem is is that we can't afford to staff that station. So we talked about maybe we could do it uh, on a part-time basis with the volunteer fire department in Amesville. Can't even afford that. Mm-hmm. So you know, you're limited by how much money's coming in the door. Uh, it doesn't grow as quickly as you would expect. We've been very lucky, and that's one of the things that the university helps us with, is our sales taxes continued to grow. We haven't had a negative sales tax growth. We've had some pretty close to flat years, less than 1% growth since I've been commissioner, but we average about 3.5% a year. 
that helps us grow and keep the services at the level that people are expecting. How do you balance that? Nope, everyone's needs can't get taken care of, but they are basic, fundamental needs. How do you say we just can't do it and have your constituents be okay with that? I'm not sure they're ever okay with it. Uh, the problem is is that you look at uh, clearly uh, demands, number of runs you have. You, know, the, the, you always have the outlier. No matter what kind of business you're in, whatever you're doing, you got to look. If you look at county government as a business, which it is, but unfortunately, it's not a business that we can jettison the non-profitable parts. We have to continue to provide the services we're required to provide. So we have to manage like a business efficiently and effectively. But if I was going to say, I want to get out of the jails, I want to get out of trash, those are things that I lose money on that I have to subsidize. So if I can get out of those, I would get out of those and not offer them. But that's the the problem is there's an expectation for safety concerns. There's an expectation of service concerns. And those are the things you have to try to meet. And when you explain to people, you know, it's not something that, that's new. So they don't, they aren't getting treated. It's always been that way. Uh, so that's part of the expectation that they have. They realize uh, when they're moving, this is a, something, when we get the, the new call from the complaint out in the rural area uh, that my road's not paved or I need dust control or somebody broke in and the response time was too long for the sheriff and you ask them where they moved from and they moved in from the city. A lot of people come from Columbus and buy property for weekend retreats, hunting, fishing, going around and just enjoying nature, which is is great. Um, But they expect to have city amenities in a rural community. It's not going to happen. So the expectation, the explanation is what was it like when you got there? Is it still the same or is it worse? And if it's like that when when we got there, that's the expectation you should have. You can't put a new expectation on it and expect us to respond to you as an individual. We respond to the collective whole and look at what the important things are, what kind of coverage you're providing, what kind of service level you're providing. So even though there's a a hole in one area or another, the response times are still evaluated all the way around to make sure that the average response time is fairly close for everyone no matter where you are. When when you're trying to uh, manage these expectations and responsibilities of county government. Do you feel you you get the support that is necessary from the state? No, we have not and will not and will continue to uh, not get it. Uh, the state, uh, obviously, you know, it, it's not a political statement, it's a philosophy statement. Uh, we shouldn't be continuing to offer income tax cuts while we increase sales tax. The state plays this shifting game, and this shift has continued and, and it's gone on a number of times. Uh, if we go back about five or six years ago, uh, there was the headlines where the state saves $200 million in prisons. What they did was they took fourth and fifth degree felons who used to be in the state penal system and moved them back to county jails. They said, well, if they're only going to be in for 18 months, it doesn't, it's not cost efficient for us to keep them, so you keep them. Well, the counties were never supposed to hold anything but misdemeanor offendants. That's what the counties in the partnership with the state delivering criminal justice is. Remember, when you're charged with a crime, it's a charge against the state. It's the state of Ohio versus so-and-so is the criminal title. So it's the state's responsibility to prosecute, defend, and house those prisoners, not the counties. Our responsibility is pre-adjudication, post-adjudication is the state's. But the state keeps shifting that burden. So now they've decided they're going to do it again. Uh, So if you look at the latest budget bill in this current budget proposal, what they've said is those fourth and fifth degree felons that uh, were violent, that wouldn't come to the county jails, that went to the penal system, uh, we're not going to take those anymore. You're going to have to house them now. But we're going to pay you $32 a day for your, your efforts. Well, the problem is it cost me $65 a day on average just to house and feed a prisoner, and that doesn't include the medical expenses I have to pick up. So it's a losing proposition for us to do that. Uh, the state uh, has revenue sharing has been around uh, since the 60s, uh, and revenue sharing is a way of taking the state or federal government's money and redistributing it back to the local people who are providing the services. Uh, so in Ohio, it's called the local government fund. It's money that is collected from the state and redistributed back out to all the local governments, including schools. 
And what they've done over the years is continue to cut, cut, cut. So we have a formula uh, now that's in place that says uh, it's a percentage of the state's general revenue fund. Well, the MCO tax you brought up earlier uh, will no longer be in the general revenue fund. So not only do we take a hit for losing the sales tax from the general MCO tax, but what's going to happen is the state has created a per-bed tax, uh, actually per-member per-month tax this time. It was a per-bed tax before they switched it to a sales tax, and they're going to switch it back to a per-member per-month tax. And they're going to put that in a separate fund away from the general revenue fund. So what they've offered to do, this, the, the counties at this point, is to give us one year's worth of revenue and then cut us off. So that $900,000 we're going to lose, one year of subsidy, and after that it's gone. Well, they've done that with tangible personal property tax. They've done it with the state tax to the cities. Uh, they continue to do it to local governments, uh, all in the name of income tax cuts. So you really shouldn't be operating that way. You should be looking at what your services are you're providing. And we won't even get into school funding, mm-hmm. which is the state's <laughs> obligation to provide. But, you know, that's something that they found unconstitutional and won't take care of it. They've never solved the problem. And you have the poorest school district in the state here in our county in Trimble. And you know, you've got a lot of issues in southeast Ohio with the ability to build schools, deliver services, and get teachers. So, yeah, it's a long answer to your question. But <laughs> no, because it is, but that is the real answer. That's in terms the rub of, of what's going on with the state. And the same thing happens with the feds. You know, you talk about Medicaid expansion and the shares and, and what's going and what programs happen. It's an it's a unfortunate circle that goes all the way around, but it doesn't complete the circle. We can't shift the cost back up. It stops at the local government level. And do you feel like you can speak up? Athens County can we speak, speak up, up all the time. How do you do that? How, do, how? What's the best way to do that to make people hear you? We have money problems and we need you to either help or figure it out yourself. Well, we spend a, a, a fair amount of time lobbying uh, both at the state and the federal level. In fact, uh, before I came today, I was finishing up two letters to our senators. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had just written uh, a letter on behalf of a constituent, one about uh, – child support issue. Uh, but after I was done with that and, and got the response back from the aide, I said, hey, you know, the MCO sales tax, we need to do all the things related to that and gave him all the information. I said, here's some more stuff and, you know, please have Senator Hoagland consider a way to give the state, the counties either a permanent solution or a parity solution that will be permanent uh, so that we can share in what the state's creating for themselves. So we continue to do that. You try to build... Um, coalitions. So you bring uh, the most effective way to, to get its recognition at the state house uh, for people is to get money. Counties can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to find lobbyists that have coalitions of small business groups, doctors, whoever, whatever the need is, you put a coalition together, take those people to the state house and lobby. Uh, so that's the best way to get it. Uh, people in general need to be aware of what the issues are. Uh, it's helpful when they call when they can talk to their senators, their representatives directly. Uh, they do respond to that, letters to the editor and buzz is things they respond to too. Uh, but it's it's really got to be uh, not somebody that writes every week because then they get they get written off, you know, mm-hmm. and when you're over involved with spouting off, you don't you don't want to do that. you you don't want to be completely critical. you want to ask questions, try to get solutions. Uh, so effective letter writing is very helpful for people. What is the model in your mind from your perspective that would work in terms of responsibility between the local government and state government and services they provide and how we pay for that? Well, I think you need to have some models that change uh, how we're designed. Remember when Ohio was laid out in the counties, the, the way we did business when the state was created <laughs> And expanded. There were only four counties in Ohio when it started. Okay, it was divided into quadrants. Uh, now we have 88. Uh, there are people that tell you that it's too many counties. Uh, the idea when they drew county lines was you could horseback ride from anywhere inside the county to the county seat and back in a day. <laughs> that was the general way that county size was laid out. Did not know that. So you're thinking about how you designed a government back then to deliver services versus how it's done today. It's completely different. So now you can get economies of scale. 
Um, but you have to think about what jobs you're getting rid of, what jobs you're eliminating, where you can get efficiencies that will save people money. Uh, the important thing is that the state uh, really funds the things they're supposed to be responsible for. Uh, you know, they're responsible for elections. They're responsible for criminal justice. Uh, you know, the local stuff that we could do, we could do with a lot less if they took care of that. And, you know, I always joke that take away my local government money, but I'll give you the prosecutor in the courts and the sheriff and go ahead. I can do the rest. I don't need that money. I can do it and I don't have to tax the people that much. Uh, but that's the, the kind of thing you want to look at is, you know, why we have the county prosecutor providing legal advice to all the townships as a requirement of his office or her office. Uh, why are they the legal advisor for all the boards? Why do, don't they just do criminal prosecutions? Why do we pay a portion of the judge's salaries when the state pays the rest? Why do we have to pay for elections equipment when it's a state election? You know, there's, there's lots of places to go and talk about. Um, I know I've, I've said when I leave office, I'm going to rewrite the, the county government structure again because every time it comes up now, people say it's a power grab by the county commissioners. And it's not really. Uh, but when you look at the constitutional groups that they bring out and they have government reform commissions, guess what? They bring somebody from the township, somebody from the city, somebody from the counties, somebody from this group, somebody from that group, and all it becomes is a turf protection debate. So nothing ever comes out that's constructive. Uh, it's just like drawing congressional lines or state representative lines. When you look at the representatives, you know, why does Athens County have two congresspeople, two state senators, two state reps? Why are we in the same district with Upper Arlington? That stuff makes no sense. But it's done for political reasons. It's not done for efficiency and effective reasons. That's the perfect world that we start talking about, how we deliver services in a manner that's efficient and effective without regards to political boundaries or political ideas. You know, what do the people want? What makes the most sense to put together? and not have a political debate about it. Does sharing resources with other counties, uh, does that help get towards the direction you're looking at? Or, or is that something that the state should provide? You can't more? share the locally generated resources. You've got to share the state-generated resources. So, for example, uh, let's take sales tax, okay? Uh, sales tax is a, a basic tax by the state, and then there's a piggyback tax for local governments. So local governments, uh, counties, can add up to 1.5%. If you have a transit system, you can add an extra quarter. So, for example, Cuyahoga County has 7.75%, the highest sales tax in the state, uh, because they get this, the transit. Um, and we still have a quarter that we can add in Athens County. Uh, I don't think – I think Megs has all their 1.5%. So if you start saying you're going to share that local portion, that's really going to be hard. But if you take portion out of the state collected share and redistribute it, i.e. revenue sharing, that's where it would work. It's not going to work from the locally generated side. Uh, one of the things you see that in a lot was the 317 board, uh, which is Athens, uh, Vinton, and uh, Hocking counties. When that levy is up, it's a levy in three counties, and typically that levy gets voted down in two of the three counties, and one county carries it. Now, sometimes they all vote for it, or two of the three will vote for it, but typically when that levy comes around, one county will carry that levy. Uh, so, you know, people don't feel they're getting the, the amount of service they're getting for what they're paying for, and that's always a problem for the people out there in the public, the constituents. Uh, they want to make sure they're getting their money's worth. They don't want to see their share that they pay here in Athens go to another county. If they're in Vinton County, they don't want to see their share going to Athens County. Uh, so uh, that's the local side is really tough to share. But if you can take the state, um, I, I like to use Canada in this example. Uh, when you say uh, one of the things you talk about healthcare funding and the Canadian system and the model the Canadian system has is they have not only a local sales tax, but they have the provincial sales tax and the national sales tax. The national sales tax pays for the vast majority of that programming and that those services that are provided. So you can share the national, the provincial, or the state, but not the local. One of the charges of the uh, the county commission 
according to your website, in terms of protecting is protecting children, stabilizing families, and making welfare reform work. Explain that, please. The Department of Job and Family Services is where that primary mission is taken care of. So uh, you're looking at um, safety net programs that come out and we administer and oversee. Uh, so protecting children is child support enforcement and collections. When I said before I was writing a letter uh, about child, child support collections, uh, unfortunately what happens is when you have an arrearage in child support, um, the state takes their cut first right. and not the children. So we're trying to get the state to reverse that policy and, and either go to a 50-50 split where you'll take half the money goes to the family and half goes to the state to fix their arrearage issue uh, because arrearage is a problem when you're not paying your child support. Uh, so you have families that are struggling and they get a big payment and then all of it's going to the state. It's like, well, the family's no farther ahead. Uh, so that's uh, that's where all, all that comes from as far as the Department of Job and Family Services administers. And, and you know, when you have layoffs and programs like that, uh, so we can help stabilize through the workforce investment boards that we operate. And then, of course, Children's Services, which in Athens County is a separate board. In a lot of counties, it's a combined operation. It's combined under the commissioners through Job and Family Services. Uh, so in this case, we have a separate board that we appoint to, and they take care of that portion of the administration of it for us by overseeing uh, child protection services. So when there's a problem for children, they, they can take foster children, they can go in and intervene and, and do all the things to help the children out. And blending the making welfare reform work and, and, and part of that, to my understanding or just my interpretation in terms of securing jobs and... Providing training experiences for people. Right. Uh, we work you know, closely with our Department of Job and Family Services, the workstation that we established, uh, it's 13 years old now, it's amazing, uh, that, you know, give people resume work, show them how to write a resume, how to look for a job, how to interview for a job, all those skills that they aren't getting that, you know, used to be taught in schools. Right, okay. So what's happened is that, uh, in fact, we're doing, uh, we just had a job fair where we had uh, 400 people come in to look for jobs. Well, we're going to, in August, we're going to try something new and we're going to do a reverse job fair. And we're going to get people that are job seekers all spoofed up, polished to go, and get the employers to come in and, and interview with those job seekers and sell their, their business to the job seeker mm. and see if they'll get some interest that way, mm -hmm. just as something different and mm -hmm. see if it'll work. Uh, but that's always a problem when you, you're trying to find a way to get people to work and get the skills. Uh, one of the things you, you hear from employers all the time is, I got to have people that can pass a drug test. I got to have people that are going to show up five days a week. I got to have people that are going to work, not be on their phone, not you know, do all the things. That, and if you haven't worked, if you haven't experienced what it's like to work, or you haven't seen what it's like to work, how do you know how to work? So those are the kind of programs that you, you work on and, and try to do that. We had a discussion with a gentleman who's doing some work in another county that would like to do a program here in Athens that would be a community garden-based program uh, that teaches people the skills to go to work and work in the garden and grow it and then sell it and so on. And, and the idea would be that they wouldn't be out there trying to compete with the farmer's market, but they would be selling, uh, producing produce that would be sold to, to poorer families Poor families would produce it and sell it and consume it so that you can get that cycle of going, the cycle of work, the cycle of, you know, having responsibility and get away from just collecting a check, as some people say. Uh, the other thing that's happened over time is, you know, so many people have gotten off the rolls that the people that are still on the rolls are very difficult people to place. Uh, they've got multiple problems. Uh, and, you know, it's still the safety net aspect of it is important to keep and maintain but you have uh, some people where it's become a way of life. We talk about generational poverty. That's the new buzzword. You know, how do you stop generational poverty? And the way you stop that is with jobs. Teach skills, get them a job, keep them in a job. One of the things that – Jobs with living wages that they actually – Living wages that they can, can carry on a, and support and, a family and, on. And cash can exchange hands and, yes. and build economies. One of the things we, we talk about all the time with the state is – how do you take somebody that you put in an assistance program where you're providing them child care, you fix their car, you get them a job, 
And as soon as they start earning money, you take that away. It's like, that's wrong. you got to change that model to say, well, we're going to keep that child care assistance for two years or three years or four years, and we're going to start to decline it and down and, and take it down so that let's say you've got a job for two years and then after that second year you get 75% assistance the third year, 50%, the fourth, and then the fifth year it's gone. So by then you've grown out, you've had enough money, you've established a job, you've got the work, and you're not going to fall back in the same pattern because I've heard this before is why should I go work when I have to spend so much money on child care that I, I'm not farther ahead, I'm behind. Right. I might as well just stay home. And that's what you got to shift. Right. And that idea of uh, that lack of, de- of investing in future uh, economic development and growth, and that, like you're saying, with on an individual level, people being able to work and Put aside some money and and mm-hmm. and building in that way. Same with the state in terms of investing in economic development. Counties being forced to make some very short-term decisions and not being able to maybe necessarily some of the smaller counties, especially in in the area, not being able to put aside money that will. Um, work as seed money for development down the line. We've talked with John Molinaro from APEG, APEG mm-hmm. and that being an issue in Ohio um, overall. It's a huge issue. A huge it's a huge issue because, you know, one of the things, and this is, and it's unfortunately, it's not just the political side, but it's the uh, constituent side. Uh, several years ago, we wanted to enact that last quarter percent sales tax. There was a downturn. Uh, we said that, you know, this is, uh, we're going to need the money. Uh, we would like to have a rainy day fund. We don't have a rainy day fund. We have some carryover. Our target carryover uh, is about a million dollars that we try to have each year so that we can start off the year with about a million dollars in the bank to begin the, the payroll, make the Which is not a lot needs, for Which is on a $13 million budget. It's not a lot of money. Um, but you look at... Uh, so we said we wanted to, we're going to have some short-term needs, and when the economy comes back, we can start to build up some reserves, build up some capital money and all this. And the voters said, no, we're taxed enough. So the problem is is that you know, the voter has to see the return on the investment. They have to look at the lens a lot farther. And if they're not looking at the lens farther, the officials can't look at the lens any farther. So it's, a, it's really a vicious cycle when you look at, how you view the future. The United States has a terribly short view. It doesn't have a long view, and that's one of the criticisms. And you see other countries, and you look at how other countries are doing it. We've always had, unfortunately, a shorter view. What have you done for me lately? What are you doing for me next week? You know, not what is this going to pay off in five years or ten years? We don't take that view. And we really have to start looking and educating the general public about you know the long term. We have to look more than this year and next year. Is it the idea of tax? You use you use the word tax, and that feels bad. Everyone tax is says, a four letter word, right? <laughs> and and because it's taxing, something is taxes, and you don't say taxing in a good way. But if you use the the wording in terms of investment, we, I need your investment in this. Yeah, you have to invest in this, and for that. That that goes down a little better because people see investment and you might think return as opposed mm-hmm. to loss. Well, one us. of the complaints we get a lot of times about roads and you know the condition of my road and you know my road is this bad or my road is this my road is that. There's these potholes in my road you know and, and you got to go fix these potholes and I pay my taxes and I said that's wonderful but your taxes don't really go for roads. Gas tax goes for roads, license plate tax goes for roads, but property tax doesn't go for roads. A very tiny little portion can go for the road, except in the townships, but from the county level and the county perspective, the vast majority of your dollar goes to schools. So when you pay that property tax, you have to remember the county only gets three mills. So when you look at, uh, for example, if you live in the Athens City School District, I believe it's 65, 68 mills that go to schools. Uh, some of the other millage that goes for senior citizen services, uh, for EMS services, and all the other services, it doesn't come to the operating of the county general fund 
or to roads. <laughs> roads are a really separate funding issue. Uh, it's a huge problem. Our infrastructure is crumbling. It, it's, it really needs to be updated, but we haven't increased the tax, you know, the gasoline tax uh, in years. So we've got to, you know, start to index that inflation. Uh, Jeff Maiden, our engineer, always, you know, talks about when you look at what a dollar buys today, it buys about a third of what it bought 20 years ago when it comes to materials for roads. Uh, So that's a problem. So if you don't have the money increasing with the cost of inflation, what are you going to do? Right. How can voters understand better where their money goes? Is it a failure on part uh, part of government in its totality to communicate um, to folks the breakdown of of it's on every tax bill? <laughs> we have it on every tax bill. It shows down where their money you goes. You hit it in words. I mean, you I don't know what else we could do to them. It's right there. You had a forum? What are you <laughs> yeah, talking yeah. about? You told people you talked to them about it? That's exasperating. Because, because we don't. It's just like the internet bill. Most people don't. I mean, they don't read it. They don't read it. They don't, they don't pay attention to it. They don't take it. time they don't to understand it. it. Yeah, they don't take time to understand it. I mean, unfortunately, it's, you know, if you want to go back to way back when, when we when the country was founded and you talk about what was expected of a voter, one of the things that every graduate of a high university did in the early years, okay, they had a common curriculum. Specialized curriculums didn't come around till later. You studied astronomy. You studied math. You studied all these things that there was an expectation that you would have this knowledge. Well, that's the expectation we have of, of the public. The public, you know, our schools are supposed to educate people how to be good citizens, how to live in the world. We're not. We've lost that. We're teaching to the test. Mm-hmm. What Preach, we have to do <laughs> is get away from that mentality and get back to every kid should take shop, every kid should take home ec. Those classes should be in the high school. There should be a budgeting class. Preach, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Those things need to happen. That's what's missing. The practical skills in our world are missing. That's what employers want. They want people that have practical skills. You know, one of the uh, great discussions we had a couple weeks ago in Marietta, we were talking about a program that uh, I'm on the Buckeye Hills Regional Development Council, and we were viewing a program in Marietta that's for troubled teens and kids that are having trouble in schools. And they're actually, the schools have gone together and employed a person to run this program for them and teach them life skills and do things like that. But the important thing is that we want kids to be able to function in the world. <laughs> and we're not doing that. You know, it used to be when, uh, when I was in high school, a lot of kids went to trade schools. Trade schools are a stigma now. Right. The joint vocational school is a stigma. The school district loses money when their kid goes to the joint vocational school. Well, that's a problem with the state and how the state funds and sends the money. Who are the first entrepreneurs? Farmers. Farmers could do everything. They had to know how to well. They had to know how to do digging, planting, you know, all the things to fix their equipment. You know, and what happened was you got off the farm and you went to work for a large company on an assembly line that you didn't think anymore. Somebody told you what to do. You didn't have to solve any problems. You just went and did this repetitive thing every day, and that that became the way of life. Well, that wasn't satisfactory to people either, and so we you know we were trying to figure out a way to break out of that. And you know now we're getting back to an entrepreneurial economy, and we have to think more. How do you support those entrepreneurs? How do you educate those entrepreneurs? How do you start those entrepreneurs a lot younger? You know, how do you get more and more people to have that critical thinking or that entrepreneurial thinking and the ability to make decisions, to solve problems, to see the opportunities and take advantage of them? When we talk about economy and we talk about uh, job creation and, and especially jobs that, are, that seem like a perfect fit for this area, and uh, agriculture, and so I'm doing this long intro into, are we getting a marijuana grow center? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There is one company that has an option on some property. There are two more that are interested. Uh, So 
Uh, the day that story broke, I had somebody come in and say, you can't do that. <laughs> you know, we can't have that here. I'm all supportive of medical marijuana, but we can't be growing marijuana here. And I said, well, we already do. <laughs> I said, we the, don't. Me- the company we're talking about is going to grow it and give it to the doctors. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, it's a matter of people making sure they understand what's going on. Uh, so the person was very okay with a doctor writing a prescription for medical marijuana, but he didn't want regular marijuana to come out of it. And he thought this company would be growing regular marijuana. And I had to explain that it's, you know, you're, you're really supportive of the medical marijuana side. Where does it come from and why and, shouldn't this yeah, area benefit? We, sh- we should have it, mm-hmm. you know. And so uh, we'll see. You know, there's only so many that are going to be there and we're – got people that are interested in locating it here, so we'll see what happens. And is that your perspective? It's a business that could create a benefit to this county? Do you see it any other way? Well, if you're going to have medical marijuana, it creates a benefit. It also is going to create uh, some interesting problems because it has to be grown mm-hmm. <laughs> in a contained environment with an, in with uh, high security and all kinds of things. So right. when you're in a rural location, it, it's going to create some differing issues. You know, we have a we have a sheriff's impoundment lot where we put cars that have been impounded and and vandalize. We get vandalization there, and we get people trying to steal stuff out of there and everything else because it's in a rural location. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not completely. You know, there's not a lot of traffic at times, and people end up trying to take advantage and, and selling stuff to junkyards. So you know, it's a matter of the whole system has to work to make it work. You have a, a the legalization side is really the the people don't really comprehend the difference between legalization of marijuana and medical marijuana and uh, some people just see marijuana and just no, no, no. So, uh, you know, Ohio is, uh, when when you look at the makeup of Ohio, Ohio is a true 50-50 state. Ohio is really as much red as it is blue. Uh, it'll de- go depending on who turns out the vote. It'll switch sides. Uh, so when you look at representation, uh, we should have uh, – we have pretty moderate middle-of-the-road values, and that's what you want. You don't want the either extreme. You want the reflection across the whole spectrum. But uh, So when you see a, an issue like marijuana, that's perceived as the wrong way for a lot of people. So no matter what it is, they're going to vote no. Uh, you know, I, I have uh, – an 85-year-old aunt that is in chronic pain because of back trouble. And she gets around and hobbles. And, you know, when the medical marijuana and the legalization of it was coming around and discussion was happening, she said, well, if they legalize it, um, you know, I would probably try it. And, you know, she's very conservative. <laughs> but she wanted to find a, a source that might help her. And it made a lot of sense. It was a practical application of right. it, not an emotional reaction to it. Right. And because we get too many emotional reactions, you don't get people to think it through. As a county commissioner, what do you see your role in um, the process of economic development? Is it a matter of going out and advertising to potential employers or is it facilitating employers that come to you or is it it both? It's a little bit of both, but it's also – helping grow from within. Uh, One of the things that uh, we've been doing, and we created the Athens County Economic Development Council, it's a partnership between the university, the city, and the county, and then some private industry members, uh, so that we can put all that together and and stop competing with each other and try and go out and reach that. Uh, Our role is to facilitate, uh, to make sure we're not doing things that would inhibit business. We can assist business with tax abatement, TIF financing, other things like that, depending on the circumstances. We've set guidelines for that, living wage being one of them, uh, to be eligible to get some of those activities. Uh, We can direct infrastructure growth to those areas. We have a comprehensive land use plan that outlines, uh, you know, the areas that we see for future growth uh, and where we would try to put our money. I think when you look at and read that, uh, you see that you know one of the areas that's been identified is the Hebridsville Farm. The uh, the university has that property, and uh, it's near rail, it's near airport, it's near the highway. You know, it's got a lot of positives. Uh, land that's out of the floodplain is basically primarily out 50 west. 
uh, 50 east a little bit. But, you know, the problem we have is we have a lot of land in the floodplain right near the highways. So we have a, people that come to us and say, you know, I love that parcel over there. Why isn't it being used? Why isn't it being developed? And you tell them, well, it's in the floodplain. That changes a lot of the discussion. Um, so you, you have to, you know, our role is to try and enhance it, put the circumstances together, put the people in place to go out and seek people and also cater to the people that are here. And it used to be the philosophy was you got to go land the big company. That's not the philosophy anymore. Those are nice. The state does that. You know, they go on the big trade missions and do all that. Um, People do all their research ahead of time. You're really looking to close the deal. Show them that the environment is good, that you have a workforce that's stable, a workforce that can meet their needs. You know, when you look at Southeast Ohio, uh, you know, people can be paid a living wage and still be less than what you're paying in other markets because it's cheaper to live here, except in the city of Athens. Right. <laughs> right. Talk about the housing. Oh, my gosh. That's a whole other issue. Ah! <laughs> but uh, when you look at the general area, uh, it, it's relatively inexpensive to live in southeast Ohio compared to lots of other places. Uh, so that's a place for people to uh, – also the quality of life is higher. You know, you have a lot of outdoor recreation opportunities. Uh, you have the beautiful scenery. You know, so you've got a different way of life that's here. Uh, so we try to sell that too. So that's what you're primarily doing. Final question. What do you like about Athens County? What keeps you here? Oh, man, I fell in love with Athens County a long time ago. Never wanted to leave, but I couldn't get a job. <laughs> See, mm. when I first got out of school, uh, this is a, I managed Domino's Pizza. That's how I put myself through school, okay? I worked full-time, went to school full-time. Got married when I was a junior. My wife taught at Trimble Elementary. That was her first job, special education teacher. Uh, to tell you how much times have changed, she made $7,000 a year teaching school in her first job. I made $14,000 managing the pizza shop. Wow. Graduated and it's time to get a job. There were no jobs here. There was only a couple opportunities here. There were no jobs available in, in my chosen field. Um, so what I did actually was uh, became partners with my boss and put the first Domino's pizzas in Cleveland. Wow. Um, but I always wanted to, uh, I never wanted to leave because I loved it. But, you know, went back to home and ended up nomading around and came back. And uh, Athens County is a place that is got all the big city amenities and a small town life. You know, you know everyone. You walk down the street. Uh, my wife and I walked down the street, and, you know, my, my nephew went to school here, okay, along with my children. And my nephew's from Cleveland, and you know, he's like, we play this game how many people do you know? You know because he, we would go to lunch with him every Friday, and he would come to our office, then we'd go to lunch. We called it Free Lunch Friday because I told my sister I'd check on him once a week, and the way we did that was we did this when our kids were in school. We made him meet us for lunch on Fridays. That was the whoever was in town went to lunch with mom or dad, and he went to lunch with us, and whoever was available would go. And we would walk down the street, and he would just be so frustrated because, you know, hello, 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 hello. <laughs> and he's like anonymous. You know, and one day we were out, and uh, it happened to be, uh, I think we were at BW3s, and a bunch of people he knew were there, and he's like, I got you today. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't want to burst your bubble, but I know that person, that person, that person. <laughs> I just didn't say hi. <laughs> uh, so it's a great place to live, work, and raise a family, and that's you know what we try to promote. It's the most prettiest, it's the prettiest part of the state. Uh, it's a great way of life. You're not too far from the city if you want to go and live in the city, but you get to be uh, in a different pace. I don't see any place I'd rather live. So there's a mystical place here. It's just a place that imprints on you and, and you want to be here. County Commissioner Lenny Elias, and thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. And welcome back to the 457 SEO, where we are once again joined by our culture reporter here at WOUB, Emily Vota. Emily, this is a big time for culture here in the 457 SEO as the Nelsonville Music Festival is on its way. 
It's true. It's only a couple weeks away. It's it's nuts. I can't believe it. And when exactly does it start and how long does it run? It's June the uh, June 1st, 1st through the 4th and it uh, starts Thursday afternoon and it'll go till like evening on Sunday. And so. there are, there are a lot of good bands on this year's lineup uh, compared to last year. I wondered if they would be able to top it and it seems like they're they're pretty close if they didn't exceed it. Um, you've got uh, they might be giants, Ween. <laughs> Will you say it for me? Emmy Lou Harris. Emmy Lou Harris. Thank you. Uh, There's also some uh, more local-ish bands, uh, names that I recognize from West Virginia, like Ona and Tyler Childers. But there are also a few groups that you've been able to talk to that you're gracious enough to come talk to us about today. So uh, why why don't you introduce us to one of the acts playing at this year's festival? Yeah, sure, sure. Well, uh, one that I spoke to just last week is uh, Margaret Glassby. And if you don't know her stuff, she's um, this is just she just put out her uh, debut album last year, Emotions of Math, and it's it's nuts. It's really good. It's really good. I was super blown away by it the first time I heard it. It um, came up on my Spotify Discover playlist, one of her singles, and I was just like, wow, this is nuts. It sounds um. Nuts meaning good. Good. Not good. bad meaning <laughs> bad, but nuts meaning it, it good. It means nuts so meaning. good. It's crazy. It's blowing my mind. It's so good. <laughs> but, uh, sick. Yeah. Well, it's sick. I probably should say sick, honestly, or rad. But nuts is like extra <laughs> sick. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, so what does she sound like? What, know, what can you... <laughs> what, what can you compare her to if you can compare her to Well, something? the thing about her music, and I think this really put it, when I was reading about her more and researching for this interview, it made her sound make more sense. She um, wrote this first album um, by herself in her apartment in New York, and she recorded it twice before she brought it into a studio. So there's, it's definitely... Um, it's very there's something really intimate about it, even though she even though obviously the finalized record has multiple studio musicians and stuff on it, people she auditioned. And uh, it's it's pretty straightforward like um, rock music really, but it's just got really smart lyrics and Okay. Yeah. Uh, there, you you can tell she took time with it. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. yeah. You said that she recorded it in her apartment. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, in New York City. In New York City, yeah. I, I know when people record their albums in New York City they they tend to pull um, inspiration from that city. Is that can you say yeah, that? About yeah, yeah, definitely. Album? She she talked about that. She talked about that a lot. She said that uh, New York City. Um, she's actually from rural California, and uh, she ended up going to um, the Berkeley College of Music in in Boston. But she ended up in um, in New York City a couple years ago, and, and she's been there for a while. And she said, uh, yeah, just living in New York City had a big impact on the record she ended up making. I feel like there's a kind of pace that New York moved at that really encouraged this record because of the kind of brevity that was kind of uh, involved in this record. It was short and sweet in length and also just in its treatment. It it really, we just kind of got in and got out and it wasn't on accident. It was definitely on purpose. We wouldn't really second guess ourselves and we'd take every moment pretty seriously. So I think it played in our favor and also was something that New York taught me in terms of just getting to the basics and getting to the bottom of things as soon as possible because not everybody has the time of day to sit and dawdle, you know, that's kind of yeah. that's kind of how New Yorkers function. I think it's inspired me as a musician to kind of get to the heart of things quickly. That's kind of neat. Yeah, that and how environment Sure, impacts impacts art, but the whole idea of the brevity, like, look, I don't have a lot of time. Let's, yeah. What do you got? That's great. Let's move. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. And the record definitely has that feel. I mean, the, the songs aren't, I don't think there's one on there that goes over the four-minute mark. I could be wrong, but it's pretty pretty brief stuff, and it's all real meaty. Like, there isn't any filler. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> Look forward to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, about how long did it take her to... Um, develop the album well she uh, she put out two eps uh before um just just while she was living in, in new york city and uh, she worked with a couple different um tons of different musicians while she was there a couple of them are more bluegrass types which is kind of interesting like tim o'brien nuts but um anyway uh she she said that i mean she's been quoted in other interviews that it took her like she's just in her late 20s and she said it took her like 26 years to just write this album so i kind of think the ideas have been percolating for a little while yeah yeah but uh she said that it's been a little bit it's been rough trying to now she tours more and there's more pressure to to put stuff out and um she doesn't have time to like mull over 
ideas as, as much. Um, so, but, but I did ask her about what it was like to write on the road. When you're on the road, there's not very much privacy. And you're also just kind of busy from morning till night. So it can be a little tough to get in a mind space that's trying to cover anything else other than just the things at hand. Yeah, I just kind of have to make do with the time I have. So, you know, I have like lots of mobile recording gear and things like that to help me get ideas down. That's helpful, but at the same time, you have to just really get yourself. It's more of a practice. You have to get the mind in the and the space to really want to be creative and make things. That's kind of a never-ending process for me. I'm still figuring it out. I've heard that from artists in, in terms of while they're touring and people are like, well, when's your next album coming out? And they're like, I have to live so I can write, you know, <laughs> yeah. and you don't want, you know, the thought process, like she's saying, like being on the road and, and just that routine. It's like that doesn't necessarily give a lot of time to kind of get into your thoughts and, and, and then actually put them down and then actually um, uh, record them in a way that makes people want to hear yeah. more. So maybe Southeast Ohio will give her a little time to slow down and maybe <laughs> yeah. feel like home to her if she's from rural California. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm interested to see what she'll what she'll put out next because, um, yeah, she's really technically skilled too. So, yeah, I guess we'll see. We'll see. And, and when, does, when does she perform? Well, she's going to play on uh, Friday, June 2nd at 5.30 on the boxcar stage, and that'll be a free performance. And then she'll be, be performing the next day on Saturday on the main stage at 3.30 p.m. And uh, we'll play some of her music at the end of the segment. And we'd also like to talk to a band that, if my editing skills are good, you heard coming into this segment. Yeah, yeah. They're also uh, New York-based New York based, uh, parquet courts. And um, they're just super, super cool, cerebral, like arty, like art punk kind of stuff. It's real neat. Um, a lot of uh, lyrical territory somewhere to like talking heads. So they, they talk Ooh. about like, yeah, yeah. So all types mm-hmm. all over, like, um, you know, more songs, songs about buildings and food. But um, <laughs> they, uh, so yeah, I mean, just, just really New York. cool stuff. Yeah. yeah, New York. Yeah, totally. Like what New York is right now, like it's terrible and also great. And I spoke to the lead singer, um, Andrew Savage, and he, um, yeah, I mean, they, they recently, it was after uh, Sunbathing Animal, or maybe it was Sunbathing Animal, their, their record that came out a couple years ago. They got signed to Rough Trade, which is like a super cool label. I mean, that's like um, just kind of legendary because they got so many good acts. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it makes sense Parquet Quartz is on there, though. They've consistently um, uh, delivered. Um, but uh, in particular, their, their album they put out last year, uh, Human Performance, has explores a lot of like real abstract, arty themes about just being a human. And um, like living and interacting with people and how in doing that you're kind of performing in a way. And uh, so I, I ta- asked him a little bit about whether it was a more emotional record than the other stuff they put out. And he seemed slightly miffed that I asked that, but not that miffed. Well, okay, sure. I don't know if it's more emotional. I don't think that that's the case. I think it's perhaps more vulnerable, okay. um, if you allow that distinction. Because I, I think that everything I do is emotional and all the, everything the band does um, is emotional, uh, you know, there's a, there's a wider spectrum of emotion that we've kind of bounced around, like, uh, you know, anger, sadness, joy, fear, um, et cetera. So it's, it, it's, I don't know, human performance sort of, uh, occupies a more melancholic, uh, area of that spectrum and i guess people for that reason choose to call it more emotional but it's not any more or less emotional than anything else i've done i think it's uh just that it's you know it's different in the way that those emotions are faced are different uh and there's a fair amount of i guess uh vulnerability and uncertainty like i said that 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 peeks through and gives gives it a certain characteristic that is unique to human performance and not something that you would find, uh, say, on, you know, sunbathing animal or content nausea, which are perhaps, you know, maybe more indebted to anger and frustration. 
from what I know, from what you have told us coming into this, that he's also a visual artist as well. Yeah. And he did their, um, yeah. the, the covers of their albums too. Yeah, yeah, a couple of them. He has a really distinct style. Um, it's, it's kind of minimalist. It, it's really cool. And I, I, uh, I, I talked to him about whether the, like the um, visual art that he makes, which he has like a career in that too, honestly. It's pretty cool stuff. Um, also informs the music that the band makes. Well, certainly uh, with the band, yes, because so much uh, of what I do for Parquet Courts is visual, too. I mean, I look at it as a visual pro- visual project where I've kind of cultivated a style that's unique to the work that I do outside of Parquet Courts visually. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I guess a lot of people don't know this, but, I, I you know, I, I produce my own... Uh, artwork. I'm a painter outside of Parquet Courts. Not everything I do visually goes to Parquet Courts, but that that which does, I, you know, it, it's got its own style and it's unique to the band. So, yeah, certainly uh, when I'm doing artwork for Parquet Courts, um, it's a very uh, um, it's a very immersive experience because I have uh, an audio element to it, and it kind of creates a a new facet that I'm able to use as a, uh, you know, a springboard or, you know, use a boundary. Uh, so, you know, when working on any record for Parquet Courts, I'm always, uh, I'm always listening to, you know, the music that we've made for it. And, you know, I'm always hoping to express that in, in, I guess, the most palpable way to someone who, has never heard the music that's within the record. In other words, I'd love for someone to be moved enough by uh, the art for a record to want to, you know, hear what's inside, especially if it's someone who is not familiar with me or Parquet Courts. I've bought albums based on the cover before, so... Yeah, me too. It's the whole art of the album cover. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a a thing. I got a new book about that, but we won't. (laughs) And it's interesting in the digital age for someone to be focusing on the covers still. I like that being a vinyl records person. I do that too, but that's an interesting part of it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And like they, um, I'm trying to remember which, um, I think it was for Sunbathing Animal when that came out. When I first saw the album cover, I'm sure it was on some kind of computer screen, but I was like, wow, that's a cool cover. I was like, I want to know more about this. (laughs) Okay. But um, yeah. So coming from New York to Ohio, are they looking forward to it? Oh, he was so excited. He was real sincere about it, and it was real sweet. He said that um, Ohio is one of the, is the most important state to rock and roll history, and I was like, wow, cool. Right, because that's where he got started. I got Cleveland. started up in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Rock and roll. Crazy old Cleveland. I mean, he talked about um, uh, Devo, which, you know, and a couple others that, yeah. I mean, he said the waitresses. I have mixed feelings about the waitresses, but <laughs> he said that they're good, so. And Perub is good most of the time, too. But. Bootsy is Bootsy. from Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And, okay, we don't go there. <laughs> go through all the things. A rich history. Yes. So when does Parquet Courts play? Parquet Courts plays the Nelsville Music Festival at uh, 8 p.m. on the main stage on Thursday, June 1st. One, one more time with that website for the festival. Sure. It's nelsonvillefest.org. All right. It's coming up June 1st through the 4th. Our culture reporter at WOUB, Emily Vota, will be giving previews leading up to the festival and will be providing coverage as well. Very in-depth. I will All not right. be sleeping. I will not be <laughs> Yeah, poor thing. This is like a great time. It's <laughs> my main thing. Right. But then this is a crazy time. All right. You can check out all of her work at WOUB.org slash culture. Emily, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Emily. And that's it for this episode of 457 SEO. We look forward to reading your comments about our conversation. Be kind, be nice, or we'll come and get you. (laughs) Um, We hope to see you at the Nelsonville Music Festival, and we're thankful for Emily coming in to share a little preview on some of the music you'll hear there. And we're thankful for County Commissioner Lenny Eliason for coming in and informing us on what can and cannot be expected. I guess, and done uh, to help make our community one of the better communities in Ohio.
This podcast is recorded in WOUB Public Media's Telemix Studios. Adam Rich is our sound engineer. Adam. Aaron Payne. (laughs) Aaron Payne is our editor. And the music is provided by Nathan McGuire. What's up, Nathan? Except for the two original pieces you heard from Parquet Court and Margaret Glaspie. What he said. And, And that's it. Thanks for listening. Join us. You can subscribe via iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, something else, right? <laughs> well, you can get it on the website at woub.org. I was going to say that. I was say that. Okay. Oh, that was the last one, though. So. Yeah. NPR One, too. NPR One. That's and Stitcher Radio. See? All okay. those things. We're, we're large, y'all. We're large <laughs> up in here. If you got a SoundCloud account, you can... Follow WOUB Digital on SoundCloud and you can get all the fine podcasts from WOUB. I think they just mansplained me, but okay. I'm going to let it go. Anyhow. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks for listening. I'm Allison Hunter. I'm Susan Tebbin. I'm Atish Baidya. And I'm Aaron Payne. Thanks. Bye. Peace. And I'm Aaron Payne. (laughs) Last time there was a tornado. impression of me is anyway <laughs> i'm susan tebbin i'm susan tebbin <laughs> from the w i've noticed i start doing that yeah from the the w. W. You, you, it's in the upper diaphragm no, so it's it, not yeah. from the gut anime. no i've been is it in a little nasal i don't project that's fine Anywho. Okay.